0: Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. We have been looking at God's majesty, His greatness. We have seen from Scripture that God Himself says that He is so great That he has measured the heavens with the span of his hand. That he has measured the oceans and can hold them in the hollow of his hand. That he has weighed the mountains in a balance. That he is so great that the islands of the world are like nothing but fine dust to him that the nations, the superpowers of this earth are nothing but a drop in a bucket to Him. Yet as you see God's greatness, how can we bring it down up close and personal? How can we make it so we can really understand His greatness and how it relates to us? Well, Jude has done this for us as the Holy Spirit has led him. In his book, Turn to the book of Jude, That's the book before the last book of the Bible, Revelation. It is a short book, only one chapter. So you may have difficulty finding it. But look in verses 24 and 25. In these verses, God has given us His greatness up close and personal. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, now and forever. Amen. We saw last week that first of all, God's greatness is seen in His great power to keep us from losing our salvation. Jude says, now to him who is able, who has the power to keep us from stumbling. Secondly, we saw God's greatness in his great promise to make us stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, without fault, with great joy. And today we shall see, thirdly, God's greatness in his great person, how great God is. God's great essence, His great being. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. God's great person. We need to understand and get a glimpse of the greatness of our God. I am afraid too many Christians do not have a clue to the greatness of our God. I think there's a general ignorance even among Christians about who God is. We've gotten more of our ideas about God from television. Shows like Joan of Arcadia. Shows like Highway to Heaven. Shows like Saved by an Angel. Fairy tales. Novels. And what philosophers have said than from the Word of God itself. How many people think of God as a heavenly Santa Claus? He sees you when you're sleeping. He sees you when you're awake. He knows if you've been good or bad. So be good, for goodness sake. And if you're good, you'll get toys. If you're bad, you'll get switches or stockings full of coal. How many people think of God that way? He's a heavenly Santa Claus that's seeing everything we do. And if we do good, He rewards us. And if we do bad, He punishes us. How many people see God as a heavenly grandfather? Right? There He is with the beard and the long hair. And again, He's just kind of looking over, trying to to just look over and spoil us. He's just a, a grandfather figure. Or the New Agers who say, God is within us. Just need to get in touch with that God. You see, modern man's knowledge of God knows little of his self-existence, of his majesty, of his dominion, of his glory, of his authority, of his holiness, of his justice, of his wrath, of his truthfulness. Modern man knows little of what offends God, what awakens his wrath, or what pleases him, what brings joy to his heart, what brings him satisfaction. Jude is seeking to help us understand God's greatness up close and personal. Today we're going to center on that one phrase, the only God. He says, to the only God. In the Greek, the two words are mono and theo. Mono meaning only, meaning alone. Meaning one. We have terms in the English that uses prefix. A monologue. It's when only one person is talking. The sermon is a monologue. I'm the only one doing the talking. We also use the word monotone. Somebody who only speaks in one tone. And you could have a monologue that was a monotone if I just spoke the same way all the time. But there's only one. It's single. Right? So, only God. Theos is a word for God. Only God. He alone is God. Now, I stress this because there are many other religions and groups that claim to believe in God. Now, the first thing I want you to say about our only God is He is the God of Scripture. He is the God of Scripture. You see, the... Islamic people worship God they call Allah. And you may have talked to an Islamic person, a Muslim, and maybe they said to you, you know, we pray to the same God you pray to. We just call Him Allah, but He's the same God. Is He? Or what about the Jehovah Witnesses? They believe in Jehovah. Is He the same God we believe in? What about the Mormons? The Mormons said they believe in God the Father, Eternal Father, and in His Son Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Spirit. But, is that the God of Scripture? The New Agers tell us, oh yes, God is in all of us. You see, God is the universe. And since we're part of the universe, we're God. God's in us. We just need to get in touch with the God that's in us, be at one with the universe, and everything will be fine. Well, I want you to know the only God is the God of Scripture. Jesus said in John 17, in that prayer that He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before His crucifixion, He said, this is eternal life, that they, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, Jesus adds the word true to the phrase the only God. He says the only true God. And that tells me that not only is the God of Scripture the only God, but He is the only true God, so there must be false gods out there, right? But there's only one true God, and that's the God of Scripture. Well, how can you come to know the only true God since there are false gods out there? How can you come to know Him? Well, let's look at it this way. How can you come to know me? How can you get to know me? Well, there are several ways. You could go out and talk to somebody who knew me. And you could say, tell me about Pastor A.T. Now, as inconceivable as it might be, that person might not like me. So, they may give you some false information. So, that might not be accurate. Well, you could read what someone had written about me. But again... That might not be accurate knowledge of me. But what if I told you about myself and I was completely honest with what I said about myself? Or even if I told someone about me and enabled them and told them, authorize them to write an autobiography. You see those biographies and it says authorized that the person authorized it. That means they looked over it and said, okay, I, I, you have had it correctly. You have the you have the facts right. You have represented me fairly, so I will authorize this biography. Well, how do you get to know God? You go to what He says about Himself. You find out where He has revealed Himself. Where has He told us about Himself? Now, there's only one place. In His Word. This is God-breathed. God has revealed Himself to us in His Word, the Holy Bible. Any knowledge of God that is not in conjunction with His Word and not consistent with His Word is false knowledge and nothing but the lies of Satan and his demons. God alone is the God of Scripture. And that's where He reveals Himself. Take the New Agers. Where do they find information about God? They go to these past masters, these spirit guides, through channeling and getting in touch with the ancient spirits. They get information about God. Now, that's not accurate information, folks. Because it's not God revealing Himself as He has in His Word. What about Allah? Well, you go to the Quran and you can find out about Allah. And you can find out quickly He's not the God of Scripture. You see, Allah is not Father. He has no sons. Allah is alone Allah. There is no other. There is not a trinity. It's only Allah. The way Allah judges is by your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds. That's the way He judges. Allah has sent a messenger, a prophet, Muhammad, but He has not sent a Savior. So the God of Islam is not the God of Scripture. I don't care what they say or anybody says, Allah is not the God of Scripture. Well, what about Jehovah Witnesses, preacher? They say they pray to Jehovah, and you've said Jehovah Nissi and Jehovah Jireh, and you've been preaching about Jehovah. What about that? Well, what about the Mormons? They say they believe in God, the Eternal Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at it this way. You decide to go Christmas shopping and you go down to Cumberland Mall and you're shopping there and you're at the checkout line preparing to purchase your item and you remember, hey, you know, I need to be giving a track to this salesperson. So they hand you the receipt and you hand them this track and you say, Merry Christmas. And they take the track and they look at it and say, oh, this is nice. Where do you go to church? And you say, well, I go to Westside Baptist Church in Mapleton. And they say, "You well, who's the pastor there? And you say, "Uh, A.T. Stewart. And that clerk says, oh, I know him. He said, my kids play ball with his kids. I know him. And so you think, man, this is a small world. You do? Yeah. And the clerk says, you know, he's a fine guy, but, man, he's so serious all the time. He never smiles. He never tells any jokes. And you're beginning to think, Is this the same A.T. Stewart I know? And you say something like, well, what does he look like? And he says, oh, he's about six foot three and has this long, wavy, jet black hair. (laughs) And you say, oh, no, no, that's not the A.T. Stewart I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about A.T. Stewart that's bald-headed, got snow-white hair, has six children, and, and a beautiful wife. And so you come to the conclusion there's a different A.T. Stewart. You know, there are three A.T. Stewarts in the Atlanta area. There are six of us in Georgia. I went on the internet and searched today. Now, just because somebody says they know A.T. Stewart doesn't mean they know this A.T. Stewart. Just because somebody says they know Jehovah doesn't mean they know the Jehovah Scripture. Just because someone says they know God the Eternal Father and Jesus His Son, doesn't mean they know the Jesus of Scripture or the God of Scripture. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that there is only Jehovah. He is a supreme God. Jesus is a lesser God. The Mormons believe that there are three gods. Not one, but three. There is a Father, there is a Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. Now, they believe that God the Father has flesh and bones just like us. They believe that He walked this earth at one time just like we do. Their saying is, as as we are, God once was. As God is, we we once shall be. You see, the Mormons believe that any man, if he lives right, he can become a god and populate planets himself. You see, Jesus is simply the spirit, one of the spirit children of God, the Eternal Father, when it comes to the Mormons. And so they may use the terms, they may use the names we use, but folks, it's not the bald-headed, white-headed guy that they're talking about. They're talking about a being that is other than the God of Scripture. Our God is the God of Scripture. You want to find out about God? You want to know Him? You hunger to know the only true God? Then go to the pages of Holy Scripture that are God-breathed. Don't go down here to B Dalton's. Don't go over here to Borders and purchase some book by a New Ager on who God is or what God is like. Go to the pages of Holy Scripture. This is God's autobiography. It's authorized. You can find out about Him truthfully in this book through His Spirit. So first of all, the only God is the God of Scripture. Secondly, He alone is God. Over in Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah lived in a day when people believed in many different gods. In fact, every nation had their own god. And so God's writing to his people, the Israelites, and he's explaining to them that, oh no, he is the only God. There is no other. And he tells them, beginning in verse 6 of Isaiah 44, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts I am the first, I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order. "...from the time that I established the ancient nation, and let them declare to them the things that are coming, and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none." There are three things God says about Himself in these verses. First, He is eternal. Verse 6 points to God's eternalness. I am the first and I am the last. God encompasses all. There were none before Him. There shall be none after Him. He is eternal. One night, this father was having the prayer time and Bible story with his young son. And as he concluded it, his young son said, Dad, i got a question. He said, sure. What is it? He said, Dad, who made God? And the dad said, well, um, uh, nobody. And the son said, well, Dad, everything has to be made. Who made God? And the dad said, well, son, uh, we're going to talk to the preacher Sunday. So Sunday came around, and they went up to the preacher, and the dad said, uh, the pastor said, my son has a question he wants to ask you pastor said, okay, what is it? He said, who made God? And the preacher said, nobody made God. God's always been. The boy kind of looked puzzled. And so the pastor took off his wedding ring and he said, you see this ring? Now tell me where it starts and where does it end. The boy looked at it. He said, well, I can't tell. It doesn't, it doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an ending. It's continuous. And the preacher said, that's right. And that's the way God is. There is no beginning There is no ending. He has always been. God is eternal. Secondly, God tells us that He is unique in verse 7. Who is like Me? Let Him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let Him recount it to Me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation. Let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. God says, who's like me? Who can tell you what's going to happen? Who can tell you the future before it happens? Let, go find some of these other gods and let them do it. You see, no one knows all things but our God, the God of Scripture. And we only know from the Bible about creation because God revealed it to Moses. He said, go ask these other gods about how the world began. And what happened in the beginning." Can anyone foretell with absolute accuracy the future events that are going to take place? No. God said, go get them and let them try. Can Allah predict the future with 100% accuracy? Absolutely not. In fact, the Quran has absolutely no fulfilled prophecies in it at all. Or it has some prophecies, but they've never been fulfilled. The Book of Mormon cannot. Joseph Smith predicted that one day man would land on the moon and he would find little men on the moon dressed like pilgrims. New Agers can't. Spirit guides cannot foretell the future with 100% accuracy. Yet this book alone has over a thousand fulfilled prophecies that have been fulfilled literally. Just concerning the birth of Jesus, there have been six prophecies fulfilled, prophesied hundreds of years before He was born. For example, Micah prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And this was 740 years before Jesus was born. He said, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be the ruler of in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now, that's not something cryptic like Nostradamus, where you got to say, well, I, well, maybe he's talking about a world war here. This is clear. Again, over in Isaiah 7.14, again prophesied. Later, hundreds of years, seven, eight hundred years before the time of Christ. As he says in verse 7.14, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call His name Emmanuel, God with us. Here in Scripture, Scripture alone, God alone knows the future because He controls the future. He determines the events of men and nations. So not only is He unique, But also, He is the only rock. Verse 8, Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Have I not long announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. Now when God refers to Himself as a rock, He's talking about He is a source of strength. He is a source of stability. He is a source of protection for His people. He only is God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Most High God ruler over the universe. right, let's review for a moment. The only God is first of all the God of Scripture. Secondly, He alone is God. And thirdly, He is one God. The mantra of Israel was in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. One God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But not three gods, only one God. Three persons in one divine essence. We call it the Trinity. Now, the truth of the Trinity brings us face to face with the fact that our God is incomprehensible. Because the doctrine of the Trinity is not a doctrine of reason, but it is a doctrine of revelation. Meaning nobody would have ever come up with it in his own reasoning. Because we cannot get our mind around it. We cannot understand it. We cannot know God completely or fully. He is infinite. We are finite. How can the finite comprehend the infinite? An 18th century German mystic said it this way, A God understood, a God comprehended is no God at all. The story is told of St. Augustine was walking the beach one day and he was contemplating the Trinity. And he was wrestling with it and trying to get an understanding of it. And as he was walking the beach, he noticed this young boy who had a seashell and he had dug a hole in the sand there on the beach. And he was going to the ocean and filling up the seashell and coming back and pouring it in the hole. And so Augustine was kind of curious and he said, Son, what are you doing? He says, I'm pouring the ocean in this hole. And suddenly it just clicked to Augustine that for him to understand the Trinity would be like that little boy being able to pour that ocean with that little shell into that hole on the beach. We can't comprehend it. It's beyond comprehension. The church fathers wrestled with it, trying to understand it. And finally, they came up with what's known as Athanasian as- Creed. And they said it this way around 400 A.D. And in the Trinity, none is before or after another. None is greater or less than another. But all three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal. Three, good. three persons, one God. Now, you'll never be able to understand or comprehend the Trinity but what we must do is accept it by faith because it is abundantly witnessed to in Scripture. In fact, it's amazing at how at the crucial points of salvation history, we have the Trinity showing up. Have you ever thought about that? For instance, at the incarnation of Christ in Luke 1.35, we have the Trinity showing up. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High, that's God the Father, will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. There you have the Trinity. Also, in Jesus' baptism, the Trinity again is evident. In Matthew three sixteen, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Again, the Trinity shows up at His baptism. Also, at the atonement, the Trinity is present. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 Speaking about the atonement that Christ wrought for His people. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself, that's Christ, without blemish to God the Father, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Here again, the Trinity shows up. And in our salvation, there is the Trinity. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Speaking of those who are saved, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Here again, the Bible witnesses to the reality of the Trinity. Three persons, but one God. So Jude tells us that our great God, the only God, is first of all the God of Scripture. That He is the only God, and He is one God. Now what does this say to me and to you? First, since God is the only true God, there can be salvation in no one else. Jesus said, I am the way. Not a way, but the way. No man comes to the Father but by Me. That's why salvation cannot be found in any other religion because they do not have the Savior. They do not have the God of Scripture, the only true God. And therefore, there is no salvation apart from the one and only true God. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven. Now that includes it all. That covers everything that has been given among men whereby we must be saved. No other way. None. You say, but, but they mean well and they're sincere. doesn't matter. There is salvation in no one else but Jesus. Flee to Him for your salvation. Trust Him. In His death and resurrection, you will only find salvation in Him in no other place. Secondly, since He is the only God, He commands our supreme love and obedience. You know what Jesus said the greatest commandment was? Now, He didn't say the greatest suggestion. He didn't say, now, this is the greatest uh, uh, implication. He said, this is the greatest command: You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Because He is the only true God, because He alone is God, because He is one, we should love Him supremely and obey Him supremely. He is to be first in our lives. He is to have no rivals. Who else deserves to be first in your life? He alone is worthy. He is to be first in your life. What is more worthy to be first? Your job? I don't think so. Your income? Your bank account? No. Not even your family. He alone is worthy to be first in your life. Our desire must be to please Him above our own desire to please ourselves or anyone else. That means we honor God above all. That means we fear God. Above all. That means that we obey God above all. Does your checkbook show that the one and only true God is first in your life? Does your conversation show that He alone is supreme in your life? Does the way you spend your time reveal that He alone is supreme in your life and you love Him supremely? That you obey Him supremely. And then the third implication. since He is the only God. What is important to Him is what that must be important to us. What really matters is what matters to God, right? I mean, what really matters is not what matters to me. It's not what matters to you. It's what matters to this true God, the only God. What matters to Him? What's important to Him? And if it's important to God, it's got to be important to us. You see, we get so tied up about things that aren't important to God. Fantasy football. Which team won the fantasy football? God doesn't care about that. But we get all tied up in it. Whether Georgia or Georgia Tech won. And by the way, Georgia did beat Tech this year. But anyway, that's not important. Those things don't matter. You've got people who, who's, whose life goes up and down according to where their team won or not that week. That's not important. What is important must be what's important to God. And what's important to God, holiness. What's important to God, your family, your marriage. What's important to God, loving your neighbor. What's important to God, advancing his kingdom in our community. Reaching our community with the gospel of Christ. That's important to God. What's important to God? Obedience to His Word. Moral purity. And since He is the only God, what is important to Him must be important to us as His people. God's greatness, up close and personal, He is the only God. He alone is God. He is a God of Scripture. He is one. Have you given all to Him? Have you surrendered? Is He preeminent in your life? Is He first? Let's pray.